Well, the message that I have for today is action precedes outcome. Actions precede outcome. You know, um, it's important that, well, I'll just break it up. My, the message this morning basically is two parts. First part is how that Israel, during the, prophet, during the time of the prophet Jeremiah, how that they were rebelling against God and how God had promised that they would go into captivity. That's the first part. Second part is Jeremiah talking to the people how God had promised to bring them back. Okay, so the first part, you know, going through all this stuff that went wrong with Israel and uh, all the things that's bringing about judgment and all that, it's like, my goodness, that's pretty oppressing. Well, we'll just wait. We get to the good part, but it's, it's there. Um, outcomes. Mention actions precede outcomes. Outcomes, um, <laughs> often God gets the blame. You know, we, well, this, this happened and therefore it's God's fault. And, and the challenge is that sometimes, no, sometimes it's our fault, sometimes it's the weather, sometimes it's the neighbor, sometimes it's science, sometimes it's government, sometimes, whatever. But whenever we're looking at things, how do we bring ourselves into accountability, and how is it that we do not dismiss everything that is my fault? You know, if I've done something wrong, um, <laughs> then it is my fault. We were listening to one of our um, special friends, and um, he, he has a cooking show, you know, a cooking show, he and his mom, and, um, and, and, and this, the spatula got stuck in the, in the mixer. And he goes, Dad's fault. <laughs> you know, and Dad wasn't in the kitchen, you know. <laughs> so there, there are sometimes we, we look at life, and, you know, it's like, Dad's fault. I remember um, this, this incident where this child was, you know, I, I, I think I counseled them, <laughs> uh, not for very long because they didn't like what I had to say. But anyhow, <laughs> the mother would run around the house picking things up in front of the child because when the child would fall over something, start screaming at mother because she didn't pick it up. Okay, sometimes when you, you know, you got to watch where you step. Um, the old uh, analogy is if you walk around the track, it's just, you know, it's an oval, and there's a hole and you fall in it, you know, that happens. When you walk around the track the second time and you fall into it, hmm. The third time you walk around and fall into it, it becomes an IQ test. <laughs> okay? So you just got to pay attention to the outcomes and what sets them up. Well, God knows what's going to happen, so why doesn't he stop it? Challenge is, if you're not smart enough to stay out of the hole, God isn't going to save you. <laughs> God's not going to come down and put up stop signs and, you know, go this way because we'll just jump over the fence and fall in it anyhow. So my favorite analogy of God and foreknowledge and God you know, knowing what's going on, but yet we still have a responsibility to choose, is you go into a banquet hall and there's a thousand seats in the banquet hall, and every one of the seats has a name tag on it. But the name tag is turned upside down. So you can't see anybody's name. So you go in, wander around, whatever, and finally you pick a seat, and you sit down, turn a name tag over, and your name is there. You made the choice. God knew you would make it. Now, in our life, we make choices. We can't blame God, but we can give God credit 
for leading us in the path of righteousness for his namesake. So there's a challenge here that we are looking at as to our responsibility and also our faith and that actions precede outcomes. So we've done something to produce something. Well, um, not all outcomes are from our actions, which we've, we've spoken about, and that it's important for us to look at ourselves and see in, in, a, in a correct light. This is not a blame game. Whenever we're in a blame game, it's my dad's fault. <laughs> he wasn't in the room. You know, when we are trying to place blame all the time, no. Sometimes things do work out that way. But as we look at the nation of Israel, in our, or Judah, as we see in this morning's lesson, or this, this morning's message, um, there is a specific period of time in which the prophet Jeremiah is prophesying to the people of Judah. Now, Ju- Judah, excuse me, Jeremiah, he served as a priest, and he served as a prophet. He was the son of the priest named Hilkiah. He was from a small town, um, Antoth, and today it is called Antha, so... I, looked, I had them speak that over the internet so I can pronounce those correctly, and I probably still messed them up. But anyhow, it's about three miles northeast of Jerusalem, so this city still exists, this town still exists. Jeremiah's ministry uh, mostly was to the tribe of Judah, to the area that surrounded Jerusalem, but also included other nations such as Babylon. He appeals to his countrymen to repent. He is, his message is, for them to repent and avoid God's judgment that was going to come upon them through the nation of Babylon, that God was going to allow this invading nation to conquer them. But the people, they refused to heed his warning. Um, Some of the people just, well, you know, we'll just kind of wait and see. (laughs) We don't want to repent just yet, but we're going to wait and see. Actions precede outcomes. So he also appealed to his countrymen that they should not resist. Don't resist the Babylonians. When they come to take over, conquer, let them have the city, walk away, and everything will be fine. Well, we know that from history they didn't and the place was burned. So Jeremiah's message of impending judgment for idolatry and other sins, he, he prophesied for a period of 40 years. He, he, he told the people of Judah for 40 years they need to repent. Um, his, his, the, the spiritual condition of Judah was one of fragrant, fragrant, flagrant idolatry. Um, king Ahaz, he, he, he was a king during the time of Isaiah. Ahaz was a wicked king, and he set up the god Moloch, and Moloch is the, the, a... Sun God, and so they would heat up the image of Moloch and they would give their children to him, burn their children to this idol. And this is the, this is the king uh, of Israel. You know, we would think, well, surely he would know he shouldn't be doing that, but Moloch, this God, then would be the one that they would give their children to to appease them so that their nation would be okay. Well, Judah's king Hezekiah Again, the, these different kings come down, and he was the son of Ahaz. And he, led to, he was the guy who led reform, brought reform back to J- Judah, 
and cleaned out the temple and, you know, everything was going well. He dies. And then King Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, well, he reinstated child sacrifices and he, he brought the idols that they had left outside. He put them back. He put them in the temple uh, of God where they offered sacrifices to God. So this idolatry was totally unacceptable to God. So the prophet Jeremiah is appealing to the people of Judah, you've got to stop this. God doesn't want you sacrificing your children to these gods that are not really gods. So we know that God's foreknowledge is that he told the people through Jeremiah, I'm going to punish you if you don't repent. You're going to go into captivity. Someone's going to come in and conquer you and take you away. So what happens? Some would say that God is dictating what will happen, but no, he is warning of what will happen if they do not change. And then it's, uh, it's not as if there were no choices. Judah had choices, this community of Judah. You know, I always was confused about Israel and Judah. Well, Israel, then there was 10 tribes that were known as Israel. And then there was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Because they had kind of split off. They, had, they couldn't get along with each other. So, you know, families, they don't get along well. So the 10 tribes of Israel, they excommunicated themselves from the, the, the tribe of Judah. Well, they went into captivity a long time prior because they were worshiping other gods and so on. They didn't learn. And so Judah is doing the same thing, and God is saying, get God to straighten up. Well, so what we see happening is Jeremiah prophesying the judgment of God on Judah. Forty years, he's warning them, um, that they are flagrantly breaking God's commands, offering their children to the god Moloch, breaking God's Ten Commandments, their idolatry, the worship of gods of wood and stone. And Jeremiah warns them to repent or judgment is coming. So judgment came. Babylon came and took over, conquered um, Judah. And for those of us who were there on Wednesday nights for Daniel, this was Daniel being carried into captivity the beginning of the 70 years. But today we're going to begin with chapter 32. And here we have God reviewing Judah's sin. And I'll be reading a, couple of, a lot of things here, but hopefully they'll kind of jump in, in and out so I, you don't get bored listening to me read the entire Old Testament from Genesis to, well, the whole Bible to Revelation. It'll only take me a few hours, a few days, so. <laughs> we'll stream, yeah, we'll stream, live stream, yeah, all right. Jeremiah 32, and this is an interesting verse, I think. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Now, when we look at that, we say, well, God's going to do a promise. God's going to say, I'm going to come in and wipe out the bad guys. <laughs> no. God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to be there, and I'm going to withdraw my hand of protection from you. See, God doesn't have to punish us. God protects us. 
The punishment comes from our own sin, from walking away from God's protection. So if bad things happen, it's, it's we'd say, what's well, by permission. And, and again, certainly, we don't understand why everything happens in the world as it does. There's just too much. But to give a generality, a generalized statement is that God protects us, and when something happens, we've got to deal with it in a way that is reflective of our trust in God. We would like that nothing would ever go wrong and everything would go right and everything we pray for, we would get. But it doesn't happen. So, God says that he is the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Then he starts in. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans and the Babylonians are working together here, and said unto the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will take it. Okay? Chaldeans, Babylonians are going to come and take your city. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city will enter and set this city on fire and burn it. So God is telling them through the prophet Jeremiah, your city is doomed because you won't change your ways. Now, as in other situations we know, what did they do with the prophet Jeremiah? They threw him in a pit. <laughs> they didn't like what he had to say because the king had other prophets who would tell him what he wanted to hear, so he's all back and forth, you know, well, is Jeremiah right or are they right? He wouldn't kill Jeremiah, but he wouldn't listen to him, so he throws him in the pit. But anyhow, Jeremiah continues. He will set the city on fire and burn it with the houses where people have offered incense to Baal on the roofs and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Indeed, the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah have been doing evil only in my sight, even from their youth. For the sons of Israel have been only provoking me to anger with the work of their hands. Now, here again, Jeremiah is telling them their whole activity, everything they're thinking, everything they're doing is against God. They've forgotten against God. They don't pray to God. They don't remember the commandments of God. The place of worship, the temple, is turned into an idolatrous place of, uh, of worship where they offer um, images, offer to, <laughs> they offer sacrifices to gods of wood and stone and not to the God of Jehovah, God Jehovah, whom Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who delivered them from Egypt. They completely put, forgot about him. Verse 31. Indeed, the city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my wrath from the day that built it, even to this day, so it should be removed from me and from before my face. God's quite upset. Verse 32. Because of all the evil of the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their leaders, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned their back on me and not their face. They have not turned their face towards me. They've turned their back on me. I taught them, teaching them again and again. They would not listen and receive instructions. But they put themselves, but they put their de detestable things in the house which is called by my name to defile it. 
They built high places of Baal that are in the valley of Ben-Hidon. What they were doing is they made one of those images to um, Moloch at, right outside the city wall, which was right outside the temple. And that it was there that they would, you know, heat it up, big, big thing, and they would offer their children. Right outside the temple that was dedicated to God, they would offer their children as sacrifices to these gods that were <laughs> fake. So what does God do? God's angry. He's angry. You see, the, the actions of God are always to redeem us. Redemption is always God's intent. So here are Judah. 40 years, they've been doing all this bad stuff, and God still wants them to repent. So what does he do? <laughs> he says that right action will bring about right outcomes. Right action doesn't bring about wrong outcomes. Right actions will bring about right outcomes. And that God wants to bring us to a place of relationship, not a place that destroys. So if God will reluctantly bring judgment, how much more will he promise and bring forth good? God now speaks through the prophet about deliverance, about restoration. So we have all of this that is spoken of here. Um, all this that was spoken of about judgment and the city and all the things that are going wrong and what's going to happen to them. Then chapter 32, verse 36. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the city which you say, it is given unto the hand of the king on the Babylonian by sword, by famine, and pestilence. Prophet is saying, the city is handed over. As you study that, we find that the people in the city, they were under siege, Jerusalem was under siege. That means no one could get in or out. And it was so terrible at the time, people had turned to eating their children. It, it, was, it was a horrible place, and the king would not repent. He would not listen to Jeremiah. It was, it was terrible what was going on, and, and the people wouldn't, wouldn't repent. They wouldn't turn their back. To, they would not turn themselves toward, toward God. God comes to them with a promise. Now, we've just had the declaration of being excommunicated that, you know, there's judgment coming, there's all this stuff coming. Then verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of the lands to which I have driven them in my anger, in my wrath, and in my great indignation and my fury. And I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety. What happens is, God is telling them judgment is coming and it's going to take place and it's going to be for 70 years. You're going to be in Babylon. But I want to tell you something to prove to you that I am God. I'm going to bring back the, your children and I'm going to bring you back to this place, back to Jerusalem. And he says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. God says, after you, when they went into captivity, they had a change of heart. 
they found out that all those gods that they had been worshiping, all the children that they had sacrificed to Moloch, all those things that they had given up the true God Jehovah for didn't mean a thing because those gods are worthless. They're nothing but imitations. They are the imagination, the zodiac calendar, and all these. They are something of the stars. (laughs) Well, they shall be my people. They must indeed become the people of the Lord, for God gives them one heart and one and one and a way of life, a way of life. To fear him always. And fear is a a reverential awe of God. It's like we are so impressed with his spirit and his presence, we stand in awe of him. And when God says about fear, that's what he's talking about. He's that we see God and sense how God is doing all of this great work. And it's like, wow, God can do this. Verse 40. I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them and do, and do, and do to them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. So God is promised. So here they are. Jeremiah is saying, you've got to repent. You won't do it. You're going into captivity. The Chaldeans are going to come in and they're going to burn your city to the ground. And for 70 years, you're going to be away from here. But when you had a change of heart, you will come back. You will come back and I will be, and I will restore you to this very place to this very land. I will rejoice over them and to do good to them. God, will, God is like saying, I'm going to be happy for you because you've, you've learned your lesson to turn away from the wickedness and you've come to know me for who I really am. Verse 42. For thus saith the Lord, just as I brought all this great disaster on the people, so I am going to bring on them all the good that I, that I am promising to them. All the disaster that was coming because of their wickedness, God says, I'm promising you, I'm going to bring all this goodness to you. What God promises in judgment, he now promises in restoration. I will gather them out of all the countries to which I have driven them. And in great indignation, and I will bring them back to this place and make them live in safety. Wow. You see... Verse 38 and 39 again. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart, one way, that they may fear me always for their good, for their own good, for the good of their children and them. This one heart, this one way, for their good and the good of their children, speaks of salvation, speaks of a spiritual experience that changes the heart. God is talking about how that they will come back and they will now have a spiritual experience that changes the heart. And that's what we do, and that's what we are looking at in our relationship with God. A spiritual experience that changes the heart. That we have learned that the ways of the world, the ways of Moloch and the the gods, the false gods and things like that are nothing compared to this relationship with God that changes the heart. So when Israel was taken to Babylon, 
it led to them having a change of heart. A desire to return to God, to repent, and to come to their homeland. Jeremiah 32, 40, And I will make an everlasting covenant. I will make an everlasting agreement with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. I will, I will promise to do them good. And then verse 42 says, I am going to bring on them all the good that I am promising them again. Hmm. I am going to bring all the good to them. And then verse, chapter 33, verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, who made the earth and the Lord who formed the established it, God who made heaven and earth. Our last weeks of sermons <laughs> have been about prayer. What does he say to him in verse, what does he, the prophet say in verse 3? Call to me and I will answer. And I will show you great unsearchable things you do not know. Pray, ask, seek, knock. We have God now saying, I am going to bless you. I am going to bring the unsearchable knowledge, the unsearchable things to, to you. So actions precede blessings. Call upon me as an action. And it precedes the blessing that I will answer and show you great unsearchable things you do not know. So everything that we have and everything that we possess is not all there is. There's a whole kingdom of God that he wants to bring into our lives. The Lord does, does what he says. He forms what he wants to make. He completes what he has spoken. What he has determined, what he has arranged, he has decided to bring it into reality in our lives. Call to me and I will answer. Jeremiah 33.10, thus saith the Lord. Yet again there will be heard in the place of which you say it is a waste. So when they're in Babylon for 70 years, what do they hear of Jerusalem? It's a waste. The city's destroyed. He says, yet again there will be heard in this place it is a waste, without man and without beast. That is, the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, they are desolate without man and without inhabitations, without beasts. Everything is gone. Everything is wasted. And then we have verse 11. Remember the captivity? Burned the place to the ground. Place is wasted. All the people are gone. Seventy years of nothingness. Verse 11. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness. The voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. The voice of those who say, Give thanks to the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And of those who bring a thank offering into the house of the Lord, for I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were at first, says the Lord. He's saying through the prophet Jeremiah, it's a wasteland, but I am going to restore what was taken. He is saying that when you thank God, when you offer up praise, the sacrifice of praise, even when you don't see anything, even when what you're looking at is only a promise and a wasteland, thank God for what he can do. You see, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of, 
of the bride, the voice of those who say, give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And those who bring a thank offering into the house of the Lord, I will restore the fortunes of the land, says the Lord. So now the temple will be rebuilt. The people will come with a thank offering instead of bringing in their idols. And God is going to restore everything that he has promised our prayer. You see, this applies to us. Actions bring outcomes. When we pray, believe. When we believe, we give thanks. When we give thanks, we offer praise to God. What we have in front of us, what they had after 70 years, was a wasteland. Nothing could be done again. God says, I will restore. I will bring back. I will give. So you see, Father, I thank you for the answer to my prayers. I've prayed. I don't see anything, but remember, God has given us a promise. And just as he promised the the children of Israel through Jeremiah, God promises to us that very same prayer. He will restore. He he will reverse. (laughs) Sometimes financial situations are not as they should be, so God, we pray God to reverse them. Bad health report. We can pray that God would bring us healing and good health. If there's a legal matter that we can't handle, God will restore to us as as it should have been. He will restore the years that have been lost. He will restore the relationships that have been broken. For you see, we look at these things through our natural eyes, and we see desolation. God sees promise. (laughs) All of this is going to happen because of God's promise, your prayers, and your praise, and your expectation. Sounds foolish? (laughs) How about being in Babylon after 70 years and your city is destroyed, your land is desolate, and Jeremiah says, give thanks, for the Lord is good, for his loving kindness and everlasting, and those who bring a thank offering into the house of the Lord, for I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were at first. Sound foolish? It was a promise from God to people who were thousands of miles away, hearing of a destroyed place. And God says, I will restore. The New Testament declares, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Luke, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Our text, Jeremiah 33, 11. Give thanks to the Lord of heaven's armies, for the Lord is good, his faithful love endures forever. He will restore the prosperity of this land to what it was in the past, says the Lord. On and on, it goes with the promise, restoration, what does it start with? Action. It begins with an action that is based on a promise that brings to us the ability to pray, to ask. And then when we ask, we follow it with praise. 
Thank you, God. I don't see an answer, but God, I know you're sending the answer because of the promise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, and give thanks to him and praise his name. I will not turn away from them to do them good. That's God's promise to us. He will not turn away from us to do us good. So we saw, the, we saw how Israel was to the, so flagrant in sins. They would offer their children as sacrifices. God says, you can't do that. You're going to go away for 70 years. But once you're there away 70 years, you're going to have a change of heart. The place where you lived is desolate. Nothing is there. No city, no houses. Ever, nothing is left. But I'm going to give you a promise. It's going to be better than it ever was when you get back here because that's my promise to you. So no matter how things look, no matter how desolate may seem, we have a promise. God is promised to do good and he will not turn away from doing good in our lives. Amen? Prayer, ask, seek, knock, the door will be open. Praise is the expectation that the answer is on the way. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for the promise that you have given to us in each of our needs, in each of our situations. And Lord, we thank you for the promise, and Lord, we make the prayer, and now we offer our praise and expectation for the God of our fathers, the God of our father Abraham, the father of our faith, the same Lord Jehovah that spoke to him, is the same Jehovah God that speaks to us these promises of your word. And Lord, we believe your promise. We stand firm on your promise, and we thank you, we praise you, for the answer to our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.